right. I thought I lost you, babe. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Hope you had a great week. Enjoying the wonderful weather. This is my wife, Megan, and she has our announcements. Yes, ladies, it's this Saturday is our next women's breakfast. So I hope to see you all here. We have great food, and it's just a good time to get to know ladies in the church and visit. We encourage you to bring a friend. Just come and enjoy yourself. Hear a word of encouragement from the Lord, and it is always a fun time. So mark your calendars. We'd love to see you all this Saturday, 9 a.m. Also, we just wanted to report quickly on our glow night that we had this Friday. We've been having these family nights that Michelle and Kellen have been working so hard to put together. So this last Friday was glow night. And I know it's hard to see because it's all black lights on those pictures, but the kids had a blast. So when you hear us announce our next family event, these really are great opportunities for you to invite your neighbors, invite your coworkers, kids. Just bring, um, bring any young kids. We've been so enjoying these family nights that we've been doing. So that was last Friday. It really was a great time. And also we did just have our, we finished our uh, Priscilla Schreier, Discerning the Voice of the Lord, Ladies Bible Study. And so I just wanted to say that that was a great study. Thank you, ladies who participated in that. We'll do more women's events. And so the next time you have an opportunity to join one of, the, one of those, we'd love to have you do that as well. Yes. And as far as the glow nights, you know, if you don't have young kids, you make those nights possible. You're a giving church. Things like that, we have a budget for we can just make happen. Here, Michelle, go do a glow night. I can't do a glow night. I can do other things. I don't do glow nights. I came and brought the kids, and they had a blast. But we are able to do other types of ministry, other types of things, because um, we're giving church. That's the kingdom of God. That's the way it should work. Two weeks ago, if you were not here, at the end of service, two weeks ago, I made two announcements, two big ones. One, that we have hired a worship director, Taylor Johnson, and his wife Beth will be moving down at the end of May from uh, Atlanta, he is from here, and he will start in June. Praise God. We have been interims for a year straight, and just many different people have been helping us. So he will start in June. Praise God. That was one of the announcements. And the second announcement is that we launched a land fund. At the beginning of the year, we tried to buy a building that didn't work out. And I was surprised, and I thought it would, and it, it was a church that had been vacated. But through that process, the Lord made it very clear, Stephen, you need to start moving. You start going, it takes time to buy land, it takes time to build buildings, you got to meet with people, you got to get architects and all those things. So two weeks ago, we started a land fund. You got some handouts when you came into the building, that's our land fund handout. For the next 12 years, it's the first time we've ever done a capital campaign in the four years, what did I say? Years. years, excuse me. Wait, hold on, let me back up. For the four years that this church has existed, you can tell I've never done this before, sorry, the land fund, huh? For the four years this church has existed, this is our first capital campaign. So for the next 12 months, we will be raising money to buy land so we can build a building. I've already secured a loan for the building. We're now trying to raise money for the land so we can buy the land and not sit on it for two, three, four years, but we can start building. Amen? God has blessed us. This building has been great, but it's a rental. It's just, it's a lease. We don't own anything in this industrial area. It is the next step in the phase of church growth to buy a permanent location. That's a big step. Praise God. So pray about it. Seek the Lord and do what the Lord would have you to do concerning this. All right. 
Let's see if I can get all these dates straight and everything else. I've got notes. That will help me. The cross part four. Let me ask you a question. What is the most beautiful view you have ever seen with your own two eyes? Think about it. Maybe it was on a mountaintop. Maybe it was the beach at sunset. What's the most beautiful view you have ever seen in your life? Everyone's going to their happy place right now. That's good. Paul wants us to view Christ and the cross in certain ways. And specifically in Colossians 1.19, he wants us to see the church, to see Christ in a certain way. So what he's going to do, and I'm going to read this to you, then we're going to look at our text for the day. I'm going to read 1 Colossians 16 to 18 because it's the mountain he brings people up to to behold the greatness of God. And then we're going to study and look at 19 to 23. So walk with me up to this view. 1 Colossians 16 to 18 and then we'll jump into our text. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. Let's keep going to the summit. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in him that all things that in him all things he may have preeminence. So now that we've gone up and Paul has brought the church, because this is a letter written to the church, up to this point, now we can start talking about our text in Colossians 1.19. All right. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, By him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith grounded and established and and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. It's a beautiful picture of Christ. It's so much more than even this earth. They're talking about not this earth only. It's talking about heaven too, how heaven and earth have been reconciled. Peace has been brought through the blood of Christ. You've got some notes there. Let's learn something new from the word of God. There's a profound statement right there in verse 19. we got to wrap our heads around it. For it pleased God that all the fullness of God should dwell in an imperfect looking man, the person of Jesus Christ. I said imperfect looking, flawed physically, gets tired at night, has physical issues, can be emotionally stressed and shot, that God would pour himself into the fullness of God into Jesus, the man. That's a beautiful and amazing thing. It's hard to even wrap our minds around that, isn't it? That the God of the universe who holds the 
the um, universe in the span of his hand can do that. You know, I was thinking about technology and how we love technology. I was thinking about the first computers back in the day. I remember I visited several years ago, NASA. And their computer room was like as big as this room, the original one. And they had those little cards that it would stick in and it would punch holes in it. And the guy was giving us a tour and we were looking at this giant computer room at NASA and this giant computer room. This was a few years ago. And he says, now take out your phones. So we're holding our phones in our hands. And he says, the phone in your hand has more computing power than this entire room to put a man on the moon. It was like, whoa, that's pretty amazing. You know, we always want bit faster and smaller and more power in a smaller compact. And that's a good thing. That's great. I'm glad we don't have to lug around those giant phones or we, people don't have boom boxes on their shoulders anymore and walking around. But think about the God of the universe condensed and put into a man. Now that's some technology. That's phenomenal. And it didn't say just some. It said the fullness of God was in him. The fullness of God in unbelievable humility. In in fact, such humility, a lot of people didn't recognize him. Such humility, people were affronted. They were upset with the way God did things. It's so funny, if we look at the life of Jesus, his life is marked by humility from beginning to end. The way he was born, in a stable, so humble. The way he lived his life, he was called a Nazarite. That was a low class. He was subject to his parents. All of this stuff. He had a a a blue-collar job. All of his life marked by humility, which was a front to some of the world. But I tell you, the Bible says it pleased God that all of himself was in such a humble form. That's amazing to think about. Number one in your notes. God smiles on humility. I know that's personification of God smiling, but he does. If Jesus smiled, God smiled. The fullness of God was in him. God smiles on humility. It's amazing. When Jesus starts his earthly ministry, he's going to be baptized. Do you know even to be baptized, that's a form of submission, right? Can you baptize yourself? No. You have to actually submit to someone else. John didn't even want to do it. Right? John knew he was sinful. I, you can't buy, I, can't, I can't baptize you. He said, no. In humility, I'm submitting to the word so that all the word is fulfilled. Baptize me. That is such an amazing act of humility. And then what's the words out when the, when the sky splits and the, the spirit of the Lord descends on him like a dove? What is the voice we hear from heaven in Matthew 3? This is my beloved son in whom what? I'm well pleased. In whom literally the Greek is, I smile upon. I take pleasure in. It's to smile. God smiles on humility. He smiles on humility. This is a picture of us too. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Listen to the way God smiles on our earthland vessels. 2 Corinthians 4. Four seven. Let's look at it right here. But we have this treasure, a treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not 
unto us. He smiles that his excellence can be in a marred vessel, that his perfection can be in us. It is his joy that he can use us and glorify himself in us. Let's keep looking at this. Colossians 19, now let's look at 20. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. I love that. Whether in heaven or on earth, having made, blood, having made peace through the blood of his cross. The cross obviously took place here on this earth. It saved us from our sins when we come to it. But it was even bigger than that, this text says. The ramifications all throughout the eternal universe, the spiritual in heaven, everywhere, it had ramifications for all of that. Let me show you what kind of ramifications it has. So we're going to look at Job, and then we're going to go to Revelation. Let's look at this. Job 1.6. Now remember, Job was written sometime between Genesis like 5 and 6. It's an extremely old book, pre-flood. So, verse 6 says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came in to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. All of creation is subject to God at all times. It always has been. Even Satan comes in to be subject to God. That's the picture there. He's, God rules and reigns over him at all times. What you been doing? I've been going back and forth across the earth. I'm looking to accuse. I'm always looking for sin. I'm looking to point out the flaws of your creation. It says, have you considered my servant Job? Y'all know the Job story? This is, remember, at the beginning, this is like Genesis 5. This is early on in creation, all right? Now let's go to the end. Revelation 12. So throughout time and history, we have our adversary, the devil, accusing, accusing, accusing. Look at Revelation 12, 10. Then I heard a loud voice. I like that it was a loud voice. Saying in heaven, now salvation and strength and the kingdom of God and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. Let me ask you another question. How did you sleep last night? I slept pretty good. I sleep good most nights. Now I've been... There's been attacks on my life, even demonically. I can count them on one hand. You've had rough days where people came against you, or maybe it was even demonic. But I want to tell you something. Day and night, there is accusation against you. But that accusation is stopped cold in its tracks by the blood of Jesus. From Genesis 5... Roaming Satan, looking who he can accuse, looking who can say, look at that sinner before the holy God. But the blood of Jesus says, nope. Silences all of that. It ends accusations. That's a powerful thought to think about our place and our stance as Christians. Number two on your notes. The cross is the end of accusations. That's an amen. That's a, oh Lord. The accuser who accused day and night, I never heard, because of the blood. Amen? Because of the blood. 
1929, the Rose Bowl was going on on New Year's Eve. It was Georgia Tech, and it was University of California. When 29, you know, concussions were common and everything. It was a rough sport. It was a rough sport now. It was a rough sport then. So 1929, they were playing football, and there was a fumble. And the person who recovered the fumble was Rory Regals. Rigals, excuse me. Well, in the commotion of grabbing the football and taking off running trying to score, what he didn't realize is he was running the wrong way. In a packed stadium, he takes off and makes it 65 yards in the wrong direction before his teammate, who luckily was faster than him, caught him and tackled him right before he scored for the other team. Poor kid. Poor kid. He goes to the sideline and puts a blanket around him and starts to cry. Halftime happens and they all go into the locker room. Where the whole stadium, and especially the team, wants to know who's playing the second half. The coach talks to the team about what they need to do in their strategies. A guy comes in and says, three minutes. The coach stands up and says, the team that started the first half will be the same players that play the second half. Even Roy Rigels, who is now in the corner with a blanket around him because it's cold, it's New Year's, crying like a very strong, grown man, but he's so upset. The coach says, all right, let's go out and have a great second half. The whole team gets up and they head out, except Roy. He won't move out of the corner. The coach says, Roy, I said, let's go. He said, Coach, I can't. Every fan and every player out there hates me. They think I'm inadequate. They think I'm a fool. I feel like it as well. I can't go out there and face them. The coach walks over, puts his hand on Roy's shoulder and says, Son, when I said you're playing, you're playing, and that's the end of it. Get out there and show them a great second half. Roy wipes his face, heads out there, because there was a coach who said no accusations. There was a coach who said, it's the end of accusations. When I say you're playing, you're playing. When Jesus says you're forgiven, you're forgiven. When Jesus stops the voices that would plague you or try to attack you, though Satan night and day, it says, Revelation says night and day, he never stopped to accuse. He never stops accusing. Jesus says, shh, amen. The cross is the end of accusation. It's the end of all of that condemnation and mess. Oh, and it's found only, only in the cross. Not only is it the end of accusation, but let's keep looking in 21. Verse 21 of Colossians. And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have he has reconciled. That alienated is an important word in the Bible. It means to be owned by someone else. Remember back in this culture, owning someone was common. Slavery, forced, and uh, because you were in debt, you had to sell yourself into slavery was common. It was bad in every situation, but that's just the way it was back then. So it says, when you were alienated, you have been bought by someone else 
and you're owned by them now. Oh, I like that. I like that. And you who were once alienated have been, the status has been changed by the transferred ownership. Number three on your notes. The cross has won the war of approval. The worst place to be in life is to try to approve yourself, right? Approval is a horrible, trying to constantly prove yourself. I remember as a young leader, I was always trying to prove myself. Always, always, always trying to prove that I was good enough, prove that I was good enough. That is a horrible, it's a miserable life. When we come to Christ, that ends. I remember back several years ago, I was trying to prove that I was ready for a promotion. That is, that'll always get you in trouble. I was trying to prove on a mission trip that I was ready for a promotion. Why I didn't just let God do that, he would have done it so much better. So what I had was I had this group of kids, and I was, had been in the same position for three years as a team leader, and I thought, look, I can run a country of my own. I can do this. So I'm going to prove that I can have this team up and running on day one when everyone else is just trying to get off the ground, and I'm already going to be up and running. So I get this team, and we're driving. It's day one. We're on the bus. They don't even hardly know the drama. They're scared to death. We're in South Africa. They don't know what they're going to do. But I'm driving. We are going to win this whole nation, and we're going to do it in one day. So this is their sad part. I, I was doing it for Jesus, but that became secondary. What I wanted to do was impress the leadership so that I could be number one. That's just the truth. That's a depersonality. There's pros and cons to it. You want to be in charge. You want to run everything. That's just life. Okay? Hey, I'm saved. Jesus fixed me. It's all right. He loves me. So I'm driving this thing. So one day into it, I'm yelling at a girl on the bus who can't put on the makeup right, and she's crying because I'm yelling at her because she's doing it wrong. Why? Not because I was mad at her. Not because I didn't like the speed. Not because of this. The whole issue was that I wanted to prove to them and have the approval of the leadership so I could advance. And there's a world of evil with approval, right? About the cross. The cross ends all that. It ends all of that. Everything I do is for him. If it goes well, it's his. If it doesn't, he's good enough for my failure. It ends approval. There's nothing wrong with working hard. And, and wanting to do good at your job. But doing it for approval, the motive, right? God's always dealing with our motives. That's what he's always dealing with. He's always dealing with our motives. And that was the issue. The cross won the war in my mind for approval. But God had to show me that. He had to get me there. He had to bring me, and it was a humble process. He had to get me there to show me, Stephen, you cannot lead. Trying to, trying to get approval from anyone or for anyone. Just serve me. Just serve me and let me do the work. That is a wonderful, free life. Let me tell you why it's so important. James 3, 18, 3, 17 and 18. This is the scripture that I often go back to in my life. James 3, 17 and 18. Y'all heard it before, let's, but we're going to do it again because it's so important. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Look at verse 18. So important. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in one way and one way only. You only get to do for God, do for others with a right heart, one way. What way is that? In peace. Do you have any peace if you're seeking approval? No. You never do. You never go into a situation in peace if you're trying to prove yourself, right? The cross ends that. Now and only now do we get to step in and say, I want to sow righteousness and I get to do it in peace because he paid for it. I'm at peace. He loves me. He died for me. He's enough for me. Now I can go into a situation and I can actually sow righteousness. It's sown in peace by those who make peace. Such an important scripture has been for my life. For the last 20 years, I have been able to go back to this and say, okay, I'm not at peace. Therefore, I can't do what God wants me to do. Let me get in peace. Then I can go forward. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The war of approval is over, and it's so wonderful. That's what the cross does. All right, let's keep looking here. Verse 22 of Colossians. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. His death makes you perfect. We know that. His death makes you blameless. His death does this for you. There is such a Christian theme throughout our lives. When we sacrifice, it does for others. When we give, it helps others, right? That's the whole theme because it's the way Christ is. I began to think about this and look at my life and all the times in your life, all the times that you will be able to influence for Christ. It's almost always in sacrifice and it's almost always in sometimes suffering even. We're able to do that. Our example of Christ here is what Paul said just a few verses later in verse 24. Colossians 1.24 I now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. I know that all my suffering fills up what is lacking, that my sacrifices fill me up really ultimately and the church. Number four in your notes. Our sacrifices and our sufferings have the greatest influence, don't they? Our sacrifices and our sufferings have the greatest influence. There's a little-known character in the whole crucifixion scene. He really only has one line. He says one thing. And he's only mentioned at the very beginning and kind of at the end, just real briefly. He's, he, would, he would be called a, um, just a supporting cast. You just say, wait, was he in that movie? Is it? That, that's that kind of that character. 
But it's quite profound, the, his change in life, even though he seems to have such a small character. And now you're all thinking, okay, wh- who is this? Is it Peter? No, he's too big of characters. Guy on the cross next to you? No, no. Who is this character who has a very small part? So he, this guy was with Jesus once Pilate handed him over. In fact, not only was he with Jesus, according to Roman tradition and the way it worked, he was the one in charge over the whole process from beginning to end. And that was the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion by Pilate is handed Jesus with a group of soldiers. You're in charge, buddy. You mess this up. It's your life that's forfeited. So every process of the crucifixion, Every process, the Roman centurion is right there central to it. We may lose that because he doesn't have a whole lot of text in the Bible, but what he does have is quite profound. Let's stand up, and I'm going to finish this story. The Roman centurion has been with Jesus for several hours. From the beating to once, he, once Pilate handed him off, he was, the, he was the centurion's. In fact, when Joseph of Arimathea goes to ask for the body of Jesus, Joseph goes, Pilate says, hey, can, I, can we have the body? He goes, he's dead already? He says, I don't know if I believe you. Go get that centurion and let him confirm it. So the centurion comes and says, yep, he's dead. It's the same guy. He's been with Jesus this whole time. He's been observing the crucifixion and all of this this whole time. So Luke 23, 47. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he saw a whole lot. That's why I told you all this backstory. He saw a whole lot. It wasn't just the few verses. He had been with him a long time. So when the centurion saw what had happened, what does it say? He glorified God, saying, certainly this was a righteous man. All the centurion saw was the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus. Right? I didn't even know who he was before then. All he saw was the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus, and that changed his life. That made him publicly say, this was a righteous man. It's the same with our lives. Suffering, sacrifice, it will be the greatest influence you ever have. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's true. You know it, it's true. It's so true. Let's just spend a couple minutes with Jesus. Maybe one of the scriptures hits you or just think about a struggle you have maybe for approval or accusations in your own mind. The cross ends all that. Let's just spend a couple minutes with the Lord. You talk to Him. He's your Savior.
Well, let's end just thanking the Lord. Number one, let's thank him for his sacrifices and his suffering. And we can follow in his footsteps. And these light afflictions won't be able to be compared with what he has for us. Let's thank him that the war of approval is over. We have no need to to be approved by man because we are approved by him. And then in every situation, we can go forward with a pure heart, with peace and joy. Let's thank him that the cross ends accusations. And we can proclaim that in our life and to others, that the cross is the end of accusations. That the one who accused day and night has been dethroned. And we can do all of this through humility. Lord, thank you so much that you gave us the example of humility. Thank you, Lord, that you humbled yourself and we can do it joyously. It makes it, you smile upon humility. Lord, and that humility frees us from everything that would try to ensnare us in our life. We thank you for that, Lord. We thank you for your word in our life. We thank you for others who are going the same direction as we are serving you, King Jesus. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Give him praise.